Okay. There we go. Hey, folks, Ed Williams here. This week on our podcast, I'm uh, honored and privileged to have Dr. Steve Smith. Um, what we try to do in the podcast, and, and for those who, who have the first time, I really, I've always been passionate about business and um, mentoring and teaching our younger uh, folks the, the ropes in medicine. And uh, selfishly, I'm going to put a plug in for this book I wrote, The, the White Coat Entrepreneur. But basically, in that book, I talk about resetting the mindset of you know what it takes to run a business because uh, I don't think it's something that, we, that comes natural to most of us as physicians. I talk about uh, developing multiple profit centers and how to build your succession and exit and all that, uh, that other stuff. But in the podcast, what I really try to do is have an unfiltered version of, uh, of an opinion of somebody that I, I trust and respect because Really, that's how we're going to learn, and we teach our young people the best. And one of my frustrations is we have so much of this that's been um, influenced by media. And so we can be very, very honest on this podcast. So today, I have uh, Dr. Steve Smith. You know, Dr. Steve Smith was um, was my former fellow, and, and I'm, I'm really thrilled to say that most of my fellows end up being my best, you know, some of my best friends now. He's now someone I just call a colleague and a friend, and um, he's... He's a seasoned guy now. He's been out a number of years. In fact, uh, we'll, maybe we'll get into it at some point. But Steve was here during uh, a little bit of a challenging point of my life. Um, and uh, But we're not going to talk about that right now. We'll get, get to it at some point. Right, Steve? Um, right. <laughs> Dr. Steve Smith, we got you on the, on the line here. Uh, tell everyone just, you know, who you know who you are, like your story and what initially piqued your interest in facial plastic surgery before we kind of get into some of the lessons you've learned uh, as a surgeon, some of the lessons you've learned, you know, in life in general. Well, I, I actually, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I'm a fourth generation surgeon now, but I originally started out my career in architecture and art history. I, you know, I was a kid that, that spent time uh, rounding with my father and, um, I'd be stuck in the uh, at the at the hospital nurses station with a, a pad of paper and a pen because we didn't have iPhones or computers to play games on. And uh, I would literally on Saturday and Sunday mornings try to hide from my father so he wouldn't take me on rounds. So that, <laughs> that's how much I, I dreaded it, and and I associated that with medicine. So I I looked for an alternative career uh, versus the one that I was exposed to. So. I ended up lecture from University of Pennsylvania and back in 1992, and then I uh, went to uh, Ketchum, Idaho, for a couple years. Worked uh, for an architect, skied a bunch, and and uh, just knew that I wasn't in the right field. So uh, I. Well, why is that, Steve? You know, I mean, I, you know, I've never really asked you that. Why? What was it in 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 architecture that you, you know, you, yeah, that you didn't. That just didn't sit. Well, when I in college, we would put together pretty extensive projects. We put a lot of time into these projects and would, um, you know, pour our heart into an effort, and then we'd sit down for our crits. We had these formal formal evaluations of our, our projects, and, and we might have three professors there. And it was always a an impressive crowd. There might be a couple of graduates from New York City, one from Philadelphia, and they'd come in and evaluate your work. But they always had different opinions. Nobody, you know, there was just never agreement. We thought, wow, there's a lot of a lot of gray in this field. It's not not quite as black and white. 
And then when I actually saw the career uh, and, and was practicing it in, in uh, my years in Sun Valley, Idaho, I, I learned some of the additional frustrations and just what a lengthy process architecture and projects are. And so I, just, I just knew it wasn't going to be a good long-term fit for me. So I started you know, thinking about what the alternatives might, might be. Maybe I didn't give it long enough of a, a look as I have a brother who's now an architect out west. And, and then, as you know, I have a brother who's joined me in practice. So yeah, it must be in the DNA somewhere. So that must have been a tough decision um, to to leave. I mean, you had to did you have to, did you have to go back and take prerequisites? Yeah. So that's when I came back to Columbus. I you know, coached my brothers uh, in wrestling. I worked in an ER and I took uh, I took all the pre med classes and it took me about a it took me about a year and a half and then applied and and uh, fortunately got into Ohio State and and uh, was able to stay stay put. Near, near family and get excellent training and ear, nose, throat, and head, neck surgery subsequently. With, you know, my first mentor, uh, Dr. David Schuler, um, very well-known head and neck cancer surgeon, and, and just knew I had landed in the right right place. Um, yeah. but I, from there, I, I came to you, um, and uh, I think, as you know, I targeted you because I I was always trying to stack the chips in my favor and and um, you know, did a lot of homework research, talked to a lot of young people that were in facial plastics, and and Ed Williams was you know, one of the hottest names in, in terms of fellowship training. You know, I saw you were going to that ski meeting and said, all right, Nevada, we're going to the ski meeting. We've got some work to do. And <laughs> You know, I got to tell you, I was, I, when I went out there and saw you, first of all, I was very impressed with um, – I was very impressed with Columbus, but I was I was really impressed with how you uh, were as someone in your community, and that that really earned a lot of my respect. I always respected you, but I saw the way you were in the community. But I also, I also, I could see you were a man on a mission. You're you're very, uh, you, you know, you always have a plan. Um. It, none of it's haphazard. So I I, I find that story uh, fascinating, and I. You know, I, we know you wrestled and um, and uh, accomplished big stuff wrestling at a national level. What are some of the lessons that you learned from from wrestling? Uh, life lessons, because you know, I, I, this isn't about me, but I could share you, with you mine. But what what are the lessons that you learned uh, as a wrestler and that you still bank on today? And actually, you know, it you know when you look back, it got, got you through your training. Yeah, well. I mean, FOMO, which is a newer little slogan, uh, fear of missing out, didn't become a thing anymore because, you know, going through wrestling, you're, you're missing out on a lot of the fun that's being had, certainly through my college years and uh, just, you know, being focused on the, the task at hand. And so as you go through your training and all the sacrifice you make in medical school and residency, it's just not it's just not that hard compared to compared to wrestling, you know, cutting 30 pounds or 40 pounds and, you know, spending long weekends on, on, on the road and, and, and then going out and battling. I mean, this is all to, to go out and, and uh, do battle with another individual that's training in the same way. So it just, you know, I think it just gives you a comfort level in your own skin and, and where you are and, and uh, you know, just some, you know, it, it definitely builds, 
competence, but it also teaches you um, it's humbling. I was, you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever gone through a season with the exception of my senior year of high school in football undefeated. So, you know, there's always somebody out there better than you. And uh, it, it, it helps me to keep my head down and keep, uh, keep working to be better at what we do. Cause I know, uh, you know, I know I've always got, always got work to do. Wrestling yeah. You know what, what I learned, um, when I, first of all, you know, I was, when I met Steve and I met, I, and I'm like, okay, this guy can not only can he ski, he was a wrestler. Like, you know, I'm, you know, he rose to the top of my rank list. All of it. <laughs> so, but you know, the thing, the thing that I learned from wrestling, there's two things. One lesson was, there's no one else to blame if you lose. You know, I mean, you're out there, you got the lights, it's it's you and some other guy, uh, or this nowadays it's some woman sometimes, yeah. right? But uh, yeah, it, it actually, uh, you know, Troy Nickerson, that that's his story. Uh, five time New York State champ, he he got beat by a girl when he was in eighth grade, and he he it, it freaked him out so much he never got to his back again. But yeah. anyway, first thing is, you know, you can't blame. It's all you. But here's what I learned, Steve. I didn't have a, a great academic high school career. And as I got into, uh, you know, really deciding I wanted to go down the road of, of medicine, which is, you know, it's a, it's a grueling. I see my kids, you know, I, I saw Kate go through it and I forgot, you know, how much how much you give up of life. But here's the lesson I learned. I knew back then that I might not be the brightest guy, but I could outwork anyone. And that's what I hung my hat on. You know, I can, whether, you know, when I, when I got an undergrad and I'm like, I want to get into medical, finally decided I would go to medical school because I was a late bloomer. Um, I figured I could, I could definitely outwork somebody else. And that's what I, that's what I did. So, I mean, do you agree? That was, cause that's what you do in wrestling. You just got to outwork the next guy. No, no doubt about it. I mean, I think that's, you know, like, like you, I had some academic hiccups, uh, as an undergrad, and a lot of that is just because wrestling demanded so much time, and and I even played rugby. I was just involved with too much. I thought I could do high school over again in college, but uh, you know, once given the opportunity to go to medical school and you know sneak into Ohio State by the skin of my teeth, you know, I that's when I really poured it on, and you know, ended up ended up able to finish at the top of my class, and and I attribute that to wrestling with, with without a doubt. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the questions, uh, one of the most common questions I get at the meetings um, by some of our younger, well, you know, really talented, well-trained individuals, and this is one of the reasons I want to talk to you, is, you know, they're they're at a university and uh, they've left the university. They want to leave. You know, they've been there. They're frustrated. They're they're trying to figure this all out. Um, so. Tell, tell, you know, and, and you've done this and you've done it very successfully. Um, and, you know, you didn't overstay your overstay until uh, the point where you, you don't want to take risk any longer. And you've taken some big risks in the last couple of years. So what was your, you know, part of the decision making uh, going back to Ohio? And you know, I know you just, you know, you joined the faculty. Just what was going on back then? And what, you know, what, what, how did you choose that, that, you know, how did you choose that as a position and, 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 you know, what was going through your head? You know, when I, when I started at the university, it was a great model. Um, but as you know, at universities, you know, the model in place is the model of the current leadership. And 
Um, fortunately, and then in some instances, fortunately, that that model changes with new leadership. So we went from a very, um, I thought, pro-physician, pro-department model, and part of that is compensation, certainly, and in support of the department. Was that under Dr. Shuler? Uh, yeah, it was. It was really the legacy of Dave Shuler. Uh, yeah. But Dr. Welling, who Dave Shuler hired and who's now chairman at Harvard, um, followed that that model. But things started to swing a little bit at a university level based on, you know, whether it's the board of trustees trickling down to the, the vice president of the health systems and then the dean of the medical school. There started to become some winds of change. And, you know, we would see these unexplainable uh, swings in, in comp from one year to the next that. Um, nobody could explain to me. So it, it made me start thinking a little bit like, you know, what what happens next year? What happens the year after? And, um, you know, it really, it really kind of drove me crazy. So I, um, um, I just started thinking about, you know, what else, what else is, is out there to, to evaluate and what kind of opportunities might there be um, not closely aligned with the university. So what I, initially tried to do was form a hybrid model and they were, you know, they, they finally got it in place, but it's, um, it's called the OSU community physician plan where, you know, they'll do your billing and negotiation. So that that's now a model, but we were working on it then and, and they just couldn't get it done in time. And the other factor for me was an opportunity to join a surgery center with some, with some friends of mine. They happened to all be orthopedic surgeons, but, uh, you know, there's a beautiful surgery center. I, I drove you past it when you were in town. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Uh, you know, two miles from my house, and it's wonderfully efficient, and, um, you know, it's physician-controlled, so there's, you know, there's there's just great, great reliability within the organization. And so um, there was an opportunity to uh, buy into partnership there um, before they matured to be a year old, and so... I had to make a decision. There was a there was a timing element, but what I tried to do initially was get that share or my my piece of the center for the university or the for the department for the department of otolaryngology, and um, that that went all the way up the flagpole to the you know to leadership at, at the university CEO CEO COO, and uh, you know for whatever reasons it, it got shot down so i just uh, so in other words the the you know the shares you bought you you uh you were trying to get the university to to basically buy those um and then you ended up doing it yourself yeah and they were not expensive you know the you know the yeah, value, i remember you telling me yeah yeah i mean it it was it was one of your better decisions that was at least from you know finding my wife was number 1 and then uh, yep. It was uh, good, good answer <laughs> buying, buying the chairs in that center, but uh, so it's been great. Yeah, I didn't realize it was a timing. So basically, when you were going to buy shares, that was kind of like a you know they, they would allow you to do that and compete with them. Is that what you're saying, kind of? Um, well, I, I stayed on as the as their facial plastic surgeon for. It's been a full two and a half years after I had left officially because they didn't yet have somebody in place as a director of facial plastic surgery for RRC. Uh, yeah. So 
they still had the residents. They still trained with me. They still got exposed. They still ran the facial plastic surgery course. So I, I stayed involved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and to this day, as you know, we still have a fellowship. And yeah, Dr. Meyer's in the room with us. And um, again, actively reading your book. But, uh, um, but we're and, and and I'm still involved with with education. I you know the the residents still reach out to me if they're interested in facial plastics. Yeah, dermatology still rotates with me, so I've still got a, a tie and and I would imagine it it has the potential to become stronger down the road. But but for now, I'm you know focused. Well, on- it, I will I will tell you uh, it's it's hard to see it go on for many many years. Um, you know, as you know, there are a lot of uh, fellowships where the fellowship director and the chairman really don't speak. And, um, and it's sad. And I think there, there are those of us, you know, I've always been very, very committed to education. In fact, I remember when you called me, I, it was like November. You said, hey, I got this problem. That's you exactly know? right. It was November. I remember it. And so at the time I said, Steve, you know, I've, you know, as long as I've been doing this, I've never... I've never been in the out in the in, in the you know on the outside with the university. I've never been on the outs. They've never and and sure enough, like five or six le- weeks later, the chair and I were had some oh, serious yeah. words, and I told her take take my title and stick it where the sun doesn't shine. <laughs> I mean, literally, um, because they accused me of like using my title from you know. I think they said I think that it came into something like. You know, um, you've always used your title. I'm like, really? That's what, and, and I know that you'll still be successful regardless. I'm like, really? That you think that my title? I mean, if I, I've done nothing more than give. So it is hard for it to work with those of us who are committed can still, you know, can still be involved and teach because let's face it, somebody took the time to teach us. Now, I know you had, when you were at, uh, you know, initially at OSU and you started out because for a couple of years, you'd run things by me. You had what I thought, you know, I thought it was a good arrangement. Um, what were the best parts of, you know, how long were you there? Uh, seven and a half years. Yeah. So, so what were the, you know, what was the best part of going out in June, you know, being, being part of the university? I loved it. I thought it was my last job. I thought, you know, here I am, you know, starting out as director of facial plastic surgery and that's what I would retire from, you know, working, working with the residents, of course, that was, it's always fun. You know, it's, um, you know, I like the education piece. I like learning. Yeah. You know, I like people. So it's, it's fun to spend time with, um, you know, folks that are eager to learn what you've, what you're trying to share with them. Um, I was a team physician for all the athletic teams. I was able to get close with Ohio state's wrestling coach and, and kind of pitch in with, with the sports programs with regards to injuries and, and, uh, you know, kind of be part of the program that, uh, you know, I've been following since I was a kid. Um, you know, lots of great faculty relationships, you know, the collegiality within a hospital system was fantastic. Right. Isn't that huge? I mean, I think one of the most lonely things when you leave that setting is that we're used to all this camaraderie and these relationships, right? And and then all of a sudden, you know, we're we're in private practice, and it's a little lonely at times. Yeah, yeah. But I remember, you know, you uh, you know said I can look at your contract; it looks really good to me. But you also helped facilitate uh, me having Jonathan Sykes review it. 
you helped uh, have Stefan Park review it for me. And they were both like, um, yeah, that's a, that's a job worth taking, you know, go for well, it. I, I thought it was a, a, yeah. a job worth taking. So the main thing that was, because I, you know, it's interesting because I, I hear, I hear from our young colleagues, you know, one of the reasons that they often, they, you know, they got, they get muscled around by plastics. They get muscled around by general surgery. I mean, you obviously had a very strong department, so you could, you know, your, you you know, and you were a department, so you could, uh, but the main reason that was you or that, that caused this for you was just the, you know, your inability to be part of the surgery center. Was that the primary reason or were they, did they try to, you know, I, I, mean, I had a, you know, I had a year where, you know, let's say uh, my collections went up 25%, just what I brought in the door. Yeah. And then my comp went down um, 30%. And I, I couldn't, uh, you know, I got, I got a piece of paper out and did all the math and I couldn't make sense. that work. It just didn't. You know, and that, that, that story, unfortunately is all too common. You know, I, I remember, so as you know, I started, I did my private practice thing and, and the university was, um, was, was jonesing for someone to help them with facial plastics. Actually, they offered me a full-time job. I didn't take it because I, I, I just, it wasn't a department. I needed, you know, for all the reasons that I guide, you know, you guys to make sure it's a department, you have control, and there's a few criteria that you need to have. It didn't have those, so I wouldn't, I didn't, but I was never going to give up. And I taught at the VA and I taught at the med center. And eventually, you know, we worked something out. And I was a part-time gig for me, but I worked really hard two days a week teaching and mentoring and all that. And then, you know, that, but yet I would sit down in September and they would say to me, well, you know, the variants and neurology lost money and this and that. And then I felt like I was pickpocketed because, you know, what I was generating wasn't, you know, wasn't getting, and the math was real fuzzy. Um, I remember the one guy, one of the comptrollers would come in with a, a legal pad and like some numbers written on it. It wasn't even like printed out. So I like really didn't even believe them. Like, is that really, you know, um, my, my numbers? And there's an old saying, like if whether it's a five person group or a 10 person group or a 20 person group, you know, if, if you're all supporting each other and there's a 15, maybe 20 percent discrepancy in what you feel you should be getting. You know, you'll turn your head for that. But when all of a sudden, as you were saying, your numbers go up and you're down 30%, you start scratching your heads. And, and that's when people, you know, often will decide to leave and say, this is not, you know, it's not fair enough for me. No, my life wasn't getting less expensive at that point. So, right. Yeah, right. It never does, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> kids, kids, and horses. We'll get into that, you know, kids. Yeah, well, well, yeah, we tried to get you introduced to horses and. <clears throat> I got rid of two last year, <laughs> but I told my kids, you know, horses, planes, boats, that's what you do. You got money left over. Don't try, don't try to make a living with that stuff. Right. Um, but anyway, so that was kind of, uh, so there were, there were a couple factors that, uh, so I got to tell you something, you know, it's a scary thing. Again, I've talked to a lot of younger people who really want to leave the university. In fact, I've got people that have been telling me this for 10 years, you know, they just, they don't have the intestinal fortitude to pull, you know, pull the plug. Was it scary? Um, what made it not scary was that surgery center. Yeah, I know you're, I know you're, that was like a parachute, right? Yeah. yeah it became really unscary once, once <laughs> I realized that, uh, you know, monthly distributions were what they were proposed to be. And then it became, you know, it became a lot less scary. But, 
I was scared for, you know, are patients going to follow me? Am I, you know, am I going to, you know, how, how much am I going to drop this year? And, and we, we did have a, you know, we did have a very minor, less than 5% drop in overall collections my first year out. But I also lost, you know, a couple months of AR accounts receivable right when I made that transition. So, you know, in actuality, we were probably up and, and most of my patients followed. But I was, all of a sudden, I was in a different part of town. Um, I was, you know, worried about my referring positions and volume. But, you know, we actually, you know, we probably even did better than the year before. So I don't, I don't know if it's just, uh, you know, great loyalty from, from the patients or, you know, the natural growth curves of, of practice. Um, but, but yeah, it was, you know, scary. You were in a little bit of a different situation too, because you, you know, third generation, you, you know, you, you, you know, you went to medical school there, you knew a lot of people. Um, did you go around to your, did you go around to your referring docs? Did you call them? What did you, what did you do? You know, I hate to say it because I, I, that I didn't at all. And I don't, I don't think that's the right thing to do, but I, and I, I probably would have hopped in the car and, and knocked on some doors if, if we weren't busy right out of the gates, but we were, we were busy. It was, it was relatively, um, relatively seamless. I mean, the university didn't try to make it easy either because they, um, you know, they wouldn't provide information of where I had gone, uh, at some point in time, they just kind of cut that off. But, uh, but for a period of time, I was still doing cases at the university, still had privileges there because I was still the facial plastic surgeon uh, in name for, you know, for RRC purposes and, and training. So I was able to bridge that a little bit. So I was, what was it? It wasn't like they brought somebody in and then, you know, kicked me out and said, uh, uh, we're going to ask out you, escort you out the door. Let me, let me have your keys. It was interesting because uh, it happened to be the year that I was president of the AFPRS. And um, I remember getting a call oh, yeah. from yeah. The, the leadership wondering, you know, how to get you, you know, taken off the you know, fellowship as a fellowship director and to so Ohio State could assume the fellowship. And I, I politely explained to them it doesn't work that way. You know? <laughs> um, welcome to, you know, send in a whole new application, but that's, you know, the, that's the process and that the fellowship really goes with the preceptor. So I thought that was a, uh, that was interesting um, when that all happened. That particular chairman was shocked that uh, he, he couldn't just make the phone call and say, all right, we we're, we want the fellowship now. Smith. Yeah. So, so what, what was the biggest challenge when you first started? Um, you know, so one of the things I did is I traded my accounts receivable for the equipment in the space that I had built out. So I built out my own space as a university extension so that I had a little more control of just how we handled patients and, and, um, you know, answer phone calls. It was impressive that they went along with it. I still remember seeing the sign when you were a fellow that they sent you Smith Facial Plastics. I'm like, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of did things, and then sometimes they said, don't do that. But I just, you know, I, I kept going and trying to do the things that would help me build my my brand and practice. But, but I but I assumed the, you know, all the 
all the equipment at the exam chairs and um, a couple lasers for for my accounts receivable. And and I think they were willing to do that because I was a good citizen. You know, I tried to get the surgery center shares for the university. Um, I said, you know, I'm happy at no cost to continue to provide all the facial plastics training that's required. I'll still run the courses until you find somebody to replace me. So I just, you know, if they needed something, I always said yes. And and so I think it helped help give me at least a landing pad. So I didn't have the scary factor in terms of, oh boy, I got to build a new space. I've got to outfit it with equipment. And, and, I mean, and you did have to get a new space, right? No, no. I, I took over the sublease that, you know, aren't you glad, aren't you glad that they didn't take take you up on the, on the shares? Oh my goodness gracious. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That was, that was a lucky, uh, bad decision by them. So, um, but I, and had we not, I wouldn't know any different. I'd be probably, I'd probably be just as happy and, and, um, you know, working with, you know, being part of the, being part of the university and the team and resident education. And, um, but there are, there are things I definitely don't miss. I mean, you know, meetings at five thirty. uh, oh, I know. nights a week and Saturday mornings. And I mean, just, I, I get to spend a lot of time with my family and, you know, this will be my 12th year of coaching little girls lacrosse. And so I just, I just don't, I just don't miss anything that, uh, you know, that's happening with my family, which I love. Yeah. Well, I think, I think <clears throat> there's a comfort level when you're there, but you really don't take, you don't realize how much many of these meetings, how much time many of these meetings. And we're also kind of, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I kind of, um, we're kind of brainwashed in some way that, you know, um, you know, you're going to lose all this camaraderie and, you know, you end up, I mean, I, I get a bigger kick out of having fellows and now than because they really want to know what's on your mind. You know, residents are great. They come and go, but unless they're interested in plastics, they're not right. Right. Without a doubt. Yeah. So <clears throat> what are some of the, so you've talked to me about some of the pros of being um, in a private practice situation. You know, what are, what's the downside? Um, what is the, the downside? I think one certainly is, um, contractually, I certainly, you know, can't, can't demand, uh, for certain CPT codes, what I could at the university, but I'm also not leveraged anymore by, by a university. So I think it, it more than makes up for itself. Um, you know, I've, I've assembled, I'm a great delegator. So I've assembled a, you know, just a bunch of super people that, uh, you know, take care of a lot of the things that I'm not good at. If, if I'm not good at something, uh, I'm, I am no Ed Williams when it comes to, to business. And, and, um, you know, I remember you got a super smart wife. Yeah, well, that's right. She, <laughs> she's, and she's, she loves it. She loves being on board. So that, that, uh, that's certainly taken a lot of weight off my shoulders, just, you know, signing checks or dealing with payroll or, you know, just those things. I'm just, I'm, maybe I could be good at them. I'm just not terribly interested in any of that stuff. So, um, and she, she has the skill set for it coming from private banking. Um, so, you know, she's, she's, she's made life a lot easier. And then, and then, uh, my practice manager, Joy has been with me for, uh, 
really 21 days after I started practice, she joined me. So she was working with, you know, our friend Todd Hobgood. Uh, yep. And when he was with Mike Sullivan and uh, she was Todd's person. And then Todd made a move to Arizona. And, you know, two weeks after I landed in town, uh, Joy reached out. And, you know, I, before I even interviewed her, I was like, I knew her. So I said, uh, that's who we're hiring. And, and she's, she's amazing at running our, our practice on a, on a day to day. I know there's, you know, there's things we all got to get better at and, and, you know, we're still learning, uh, still learning on the job, but she's, uh, you know, she, she's made my life pretty easy with regards to a lot of those administrative things. Um, but, uh, no, and, and being able to have my own building and, you know, pay myself rent and, um, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's been fun. Yeah. I'm going to talk, I'm actually going to ask you some questions about that, but let, let me ask you something um, first. So, uh, you know, you're at a meeting and a young, uh, facial plastic surgeon or plastic surgeon comes up to you and says, um, you know, 10 years, they're, they're, they've been out 11 years and they're at a university and they're just, they're, they're frustrated. They're almost at their wits end. What, what, what would you tell them to do? I mean, any, any words of wisdom, you know, I know you left the university. Um, you know, what would you do if you were me? Um, I would, I would, first of all, I'd tell them to look at surgery center opportunities. You know, are there, you know, if they're a busy facial plastic surgeon, you know, they have a lot of value to, uh, you know, to be a corporate citizen at a surgery center. So that's, again, that's, that was the parachute. That's what helped me make the transition without a lot of aggravation. So, you know, I, th- I think that's one thing to at least evaluate. Um, yeah. I can tell you that, you know, your situation is very unusual. I have to tell you that just because I, I know, I know a lot of people, you know, the, the, the first of all, the luck, I don't say the luck. I mean, this, these are your buddies and you've had a long-term relationship, but, but the, you know, reality of, of going in with an, cause orthopedic, I mean, it's like a money press, the, the orthopedic surgery centers, our surgery centers, most of the you know ones that do just plastics are highly contract out. Um, they're just not, they're not seeing, you know, seeing that. I mean, you were very fortunate, uh, you know, with an ortho center and to not be partners with, you know, 50 other people, you got, what do you, you got six or seven. Or eight, uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. And they're, they're, they're awfully, I mean, they're awfully nice to you. (laughs) You're not the money maker, right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, no, but we, we actually, as we look at our our contribution to the margin, um, you know, based on the days that we have available and, you know, certain codes like 30465s. Yeah. Nasal airway. You know, our contracts are, are And also, as a you know, as a corporate citizen, if you come into a, a, a surgery center that's dominated by another specialty, they can negotiate your your CPTs at a lower tier, and preferentially push you know their codes at a higher tier, and yeah. and it becomes you know so to have some diversity within a center is actually beneficial to the you know to the to the dominant specialty. So so I think it's worth looking in your community and seeing if that's an opportunity, even if it's just a nice place to work, then, you know, it gives you a place to, to land, but. You well, know. insurance-based cases too. I mean, you know, the, the thing is the surgery centers have a tough time making uh, money on, you know, Dr. Smith doing two facelifts today, but, but if you have the insurance-based CPT codes, um, you have something to bring to them. Am I right? 
Absolutely. And, and most academic facial plastic surgeons are doing a lot of functional nasal surgery. So, yeah. so, um, so there, there's, you know, that's something you have to offer them. And then you can, what, perhaps negotiate reasonable OR fees for your other stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think they're always motivated, especially the combined um, functional and cosmetic nose. You know, I can't breathe, but I wish my tip was smaller. So those are scenarios where I think I think you have an opportunity to be a good corporate citizen at a lot of surgery centers. So it's at least worth the evaluation. And, and what I did is I compiled all the cases I did over a calendar year and and, you know, you present them to that center and say, this is, you know, this is my volume. This is, uh, you know, you can you can look at your contracts and, and decide whether or not, uh, you know, I'd be a worthwhile corporate citizen at your at your center. You know, actually, I think that's really good advice, because if you are busy at a university, there is a surgery center somewhere nearby um, that and if you're busy, those those cases, um, you know, you have something to bring to them. You're not just start, you know, going out and I say, well, I'm looking to do, you know, blepharoplasty once, once a month. You've got something. And they do, they, they definitely do well on some of our functional things, especially if you're an efficient operator, right? Yep. And I'm an efficient operator. So. Oh, there's no doubt. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. Um, so what, like on a day-to-day basis now, what are kind of your biggest, um, you know, your biggest frustrations? Um, I don't know. I guess I should give you some sort of meaty statement, but, uh, well, not necessarily. I mean, yeah, I, I would say, you know, I, I would say life is, you know, life's pretty good now. One of, again, one of the biggest challenges is, you know, I've, I've got some additional space downstairs and, you know, we're interested in building a hair program. And, and I think one of the things Scott and I would like to do is, you know, uh, visit you and Kimon and, and sure. figure out, uh, you know, maybe how to model things, but, you know, making my additional space start to start to work. Uh, one of the things I'd love to figure out and do sometime soon is, is really deploy physician extenders. But that's, um, you know, it, I just haven't taken that leap yet, but I know you have and Buckingham and, and others have really figured out how to make that work. And, and so that's something I think I, I need to, understand uh, uh how to affect you why why do you think you need to understand that um i don't know because i think it helps a business grow i mean it, you know you 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 know e-myth revisited one of the books on the reading list for fellowship that you provided uh, you know if you can find somebody that can do what you do near as well then it then it's worth uh having the comfort level to, you know, to delegate those services. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I mean, you know, I've been a big fan of this for years and I've had, you know, colleagues of mine say, Oh, you know, my patients only want me to do their Botox. And, you know, uh, uh, I, I haven't injected Botox in years. My feeling has always been, you know, if I can grow that business really, really well, um, that's my referral base. You know, that's our patient, that's our primary care network. I, I'm less worried about, you know, my referring derms, you know, all of those. And the fact that, you know, if those patients at least come into our fold, um, they're not, you know, they're not going to be getting injectables forever. At some point, at some point, they're going to say, you know what, I, I think I need a facelift. Um, you know, so that was always part of my, you know, my strategy. So tell us about your, I mean, you know, that's another big, you know, 
leap of faith, you, you put a building in. Um, you know, how many years you've been in practice? Uh, 12 and a half and, and, you know, five in private practice. So. Okay. So you were probably out five years when you decided to do the building because you're in there now. So that, right. That it took, that's a couple of years. Yeah. In private practice, I was in maybe two and a half and then I bought four acres of land and kind of knew when my lease was up. So, um, pulled the trigger pretty quickly. My brother-in-law who, you know, I've told you stories about him, very successful in business, but through medicine as a, as a radiologist in Las Vegas, he, he told me as soon as I transitioned, he said, Steve, find a building or build a building and start paying yourself rent. So, you know, that resonated with me and I started, and I know you did it. I remember you telling me you were about to throw up the, the day you uh, signed a loan for your. Oh, I thought I wanted to vomit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I was, I, I just knew it was the right thing to do. And, and I kind of had my eye on the land that we landed at um, for a number of years. I was like, how come there's no buildings over there? And, and so, you know, I, I did the negotiations for the land because, you know, I knew the representative of the landowner and our real estate folks weren't getting anywhere, but that, you know, it comes from being a, a Columbus guy and having contacts and relationships right. and, and so we were able to we were able to get it done, and then we brought in other practices to build the building. And so, you know, we did a thirty-four thousand square foot building, hundred percent lease, twelve years or longer, just you know, from having relationships in the community. And that's an absolute, absolute no-brainer. You know, anyone I knew that does commercial development says if you can get fifty percent of the building leased out with a ten-year lease, you know, you, you win. Um, and, you know, going back, I remember when uh, Ed Buckingham was my fellow, I remember standing at the scrub sink and he's like, you know, I grew up in you know family business and this and that. Why would you ever put in a building? You know, and I said the same thing. I mean, you know, the day you can, you know, you, you're you're kind of a revenue neutral. What's going in is what's going out. But you're paying down principal and value goes up and it's kind of a no brainer. I've refinanced the building twice now. I'm actually going on a third round. And each time you pull that out, that's you're not having to pay tax on it because it's your own money. You know, you're it's just moving it from a different asset bucket. Yeah. Um, and so the advice I think in anyone in small business, if you're the kind of small business that you're going to grow rapidly, you know, you potentially could outgrow your space, like some of our tech buddies. Um, then it doesn't make sense. But for, for what we do to have control and not move and be able to reconfigure the space, if you know you're if you know you're going to be in the same community, you're not, you know, you're not going to pick up and move. Um, it's kind of a no brainer. Um, you agree, even though it's scary. I do. I do. I do. And it was, it was only scary for a little bit because things came together pretty quickly and um, I'm in a gorgeous space and I pay less rent than I did in the last place. Uh, just given that I have some folks sharing the space with me. Yeah. And you never know when, you know, all of a sudden you can, you know, you, and refinance it makes sense to and now you get to you know you're paying less the next round so what's your tell us a little bit about your you know your three to five year plan and and uh, i get we got about two or three minutes okay here i want to hear what you, what what are your what's you know dr smith planning in his business for the next three to five years and and what do you predict as far as the industry where where is this all going it's there's been so much change well, you know, I, I think I'm in a unique position in Columbus in that, you know, you go to places like Newport Beach or, you know, New York City and, and you know, maybe even in the capital region there where, you know, big germ groups seem to dominate the, the laser industry. 
Um, I'm heavily invested in technology. I've probably got eight or nine technologies that we that we keep them all fairly busy. I mean, none of them none of them are big losers, uh, and some are huge winners. So, you know, I think people understand that you know we can do surgery, but we can only you know, we have to leave some skin behind. You need some skin on your face. So, I'm my practice has become very skin focused. But, in the next three to five years, I'm hoping I've, I've been working with the state medical board, and and they asked me to head up, uh, you know, at least a portion of the task force to figure out delegations of lasers in Central Ohio. So I'd I'd really love to build a physician extender team with with our technologies, with our injectables, and then in Columbus is really a booming. Um, there's a booming downtown. There's really been a resurgence there. So I have a lot of friends that have developed the buildings that are, that are going up downtown. So I could see us putting up a little, you know, a second office uh, in kind of a hip pedestrian uh, part of of town and, and try to capture a little bit more of the, of the marketplace. And I would, you know, I would love to, you know, focus on rhinoplasty and, you know, facial rejuvenation and then, um, um, and then have have a great team in place that's uh, doing a lot of the other stuff that I'm doing now myself day to day. Yeah, very cool. So kind of like you, yeah. Well, we, you know, it's all it's all. Uh, you know, I think if we if we if we really pay attention to running a business, we can get better at it. So l- last question before I let you go: What's it like to work with Scotty? <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. I I changed his diapers, and then I you know and then. <laughs> wrestling um uh, i just inducted him into our high school's athletic hall of fame on uh a week and a half ago which is a big honor it's you know the school's been around for 100 years uh, actually since 1911 so 108 years and and he's only the 43rd inductee so you know we've had a close relationship he was a groomsman in my wedding at the age of 10 so i feel like i know him pretty well we are similarly aligned and uh um, but I understand how hungry he is right now. It's it's uh, when you come in and you got a big brother that's busy. You're oh yeah yeah you're like um, well wait wait a second well, how come I'm you know so it's you know you, you doubt yourself and you you wonder what's going on. But he is he's seen more great things in his first year than I did in mine. So well, I well that's the thing too. Yeah. Yep, it would be the point where you turn stuff away, and uh, let's face it, it didn't it didn't necessarily come easy to you either. So, look, I'm going to let you go. I, uh, you know, Dr. Steve Smith here, who's at uh, is in Columbus, Ohio, is doing great things. I really wanted to talk about this topic about leaving the university, transitioning. It's a real challenging thing for some of our, our young folks. So, uh, I'm going to give a, a plug one more time for this white coat entrepreneur book I wrote. It's all about the business of medicine. I've got a website. I've got all kinds of information on DrEdwinWilliams.com. And again, thanks, Steve. I'm going to see you probably not at the rhinoplasty meeting, right? We're going to see you. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, if you have a weekend to go skiing, let me know. I, I'm, I'm a little freer and easier these days with a couple in college. But yeah. Yeah. And if anybody that's listening to this wants to reach out to me, uh, Smith, yeah. How do we get in touch with there's a contact site. I can. I can walk you through the in great detail my transition and uh, um, tell you things I learned along the way. That's awesome, Steve. And by the way, uh, 
if if you guys ever want to come here, you know that I, I've got I got plenty of rooms. Now that I've gotten a yeah. couple of kids are out of the house, we got plenty of room for you and Scotty to come stay. I'd love to have you. All right. All Thanks. right. Thanks again, Steve. Okay. All right. Bye bye.